Hello all, I'm Carmelita Tu, and welcome to Know Them, Be Them, Raise Them, a show to help busy, mindful, growth-oriented moms stay informed and inspired as they navigate their daughter's tween and teen years, with most episodes running 20 minutes or less. If you're interested in hearing from experts, authors, therapists, coaches, moms who've been there, be sure to follow or subscribe and follow at KnowBeRaiseThem on Instagram. So as parents to girls, I think we all wonder about the subconscious messaging that girls may get about their place in society or their ability to succeed or whose opinions matter because they don't see women represented in certain spaces. We've all heard about women's lack of representation in tech, U.S. politics, and Fortune 500 C-suites. And aviation, by the way, is terrifically lopsided too. I recently Googled percentage of U.S. pilots that are women because my daughter said she wants to be one. The answer is an abysmally low 6 to 8%. But even beyond their career aspirations, think about the spaces your girls inhabit. Like the books on the shelves of your home or on your daughter's assigned reading list. How many authors are women? The shows they watch. Are mostly men represented in leading roles? And think about the public art, monuments, statues in your area. Are there any that commemorate women or are made by women? My guest this week, Nisa Page Lieberman, can speak to this last question. She's a curator, lecturer, writer, and educator with a focus on feminism, African diaspora, social practice, and public art. Based in Kansas City since 2020, she curates, produces, and consults on public art, street art, and monuments. She's the co-founder and artistic director of Monuments to Movements in the House of Radical Feminist Practices, a project that works to more greatly reflect our collective achievements and challenge our notions of what a monument can and should be. Prior to her current role, she was executive director of the Department of Exhibitions and Performance Spaces at Columbia College Chicago and the director and chief curator of the Wabash Arts Corridor. Nisa has produced over 300 exhibitions and public art projects nationally and internationally, including the touring Not Ready to Make Nice, Guerrilla Girls in the Art World and Beyond, and a recently launched mural and monument project to Illinois women's suffrage. Nisa has lectured and written extensively on public art monuments, feminist art, and social engaged practices. On top of that, Nisa is one of those super down-to-earth people who can break down complex ideas into easy-to-understand concepts. She's a mom to two boys and a dear friend. In our chat, she talks about her work, what monuments are, and the importance of representation for all of us in public spaces. Here's our conversation. Nisa, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to share your, um, you know, your insights and wisdom and enthusiasm with my listeners. So you're a curator, you're an educator, a writer, a mom, so many things. One thing I know I was not clear on when I first heard the term was what a curator is. So what does that mean to you both generally and kind of on a personal level? Kat, I'm so happy to tell you what a curator is, but first I just want to thank you for having me on the podcast because I'm obsessed with your podcast. <laughs> I've listened to everything. I'm learning so much and I'm really honored to be one of your guests. So thank you so much for inviting me. So um, I am a contemporary art curator, which means I work with living artists and I'm also a public art curator. So that means that I 
I work with artists and um, exhibiting artwork um, with the intention that everything we create together is free and accessible and open to, to anybody in a, in a public space. Mm. Um, interestingly, the word curator for anybody tuning in who, who a little wants to uh, somewhat of a deeper dive onto what curator means, it's, it's originally, uh, it comes from a Latin word that means to care for. And mm -hmm. so, um, so originally this term curator started being used as um, to care for a collection or mm -hmm. to care for an institution. And in my mind, it's also to care about artists and to care mm -hmm. about their visions and, um, and different kinds of expression. So I don't work with a collection. Like if you go into a museum and there's a collection of artwork there, um, I have done that kind of work before, but not anymore. Right now, I'm actually um, commissioning artists to build brand new works mm. that are often placed outside in a public space, like at a at a park or in a plaza or something like that. Mm. Your work seems especially relevant, I think, now given what we've seen in the last year or two, of um, you know monuments being dismantled or covered up, and you know I I think there's so much talk about public art and what it means. So I, I, I think it's timely for the listeners to hear a little bit more about the work that goes into um, curation of public art and spaces, uh, which leads mm -hmm. me to your current project, Monuments to Movements. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So um, uh, in my mind, monuments are public art. And so sometimes I use those terms synonymously. Mm. That's because I've been kind of expanding my thinking about what a monument is. As our country has become so engaged in this idea of monuments and representation mm. of our history, I realized that a lot of the work I've been doing with artists um, over the past couple decades is in its own way a monument. Mm. Um, and so with this, with this new project, um, Monuments to Movements, I co-founded it with um, a colleague and friend that we both share, Jane Sachs. Mm -hmm. And we envisioned this, this together. And, and part of it was we wanted to really um, work with uh, communities to reconsider what a monument is. You know, is a man on a horse in our public space the best representation of our shared history? Um, or could it be something completely different? Um, does a monument that um, reflects our supposed truths and histories always have to be um, figurative, look like a person? Mm, does it mm. have to always be in stone or bronze? Mm. Um, can it be temporary instead of designed to be there forever? And so we started to really think about this, you know, could a monument be any kind of expression that is reflective of of um, maybe a history or a story we don't know as well. Mm, yeah. um, and, uh, and I think another thing, another thing that inspired this, this project was that, as you know, as everybody knows now, these monuments are being toppled, right? And so there, a lot of these monuments are being questioned. Sometimes people are saying, well, this really wasn't a great person. This person, you know, tried to uphold white supremacy or um, or the patriarchy or anything else, you know, people are saying this doesn't really represent my values as mm -hmm. somebody who wants to be inclusive of all differences. And um, and so 
as these monuments have come down, you've probably noticed that um, there's kind of this rush to put up the the new hero, you know, and they, mm. I often put like hero in quotes because people are thinking, okay, well, maybe that person no longer represents us, but let's find somebody else like Harriet Tubman or somebody mm. like that mm -hmm. where, you know, let's, let's put her up because she is the kind of hero that we want in our spaces that inspires us. Mm -hmm. And, um, so part of our conversations with Monuments to Movements is, should we be rushing to find that next hero? Or mm. should we be thinking a little differently? You know, of course, everybody loves Harriet Tubman. I'm not going to say she is not worthy of hundreds or thousands of monuments. I mm -hmm. read about her all the time. I mm -hmm. love talking about her story mm -hmm. with my kids. But at the same time, she was part of a movement. Mm -hmm. And she was an incredible, inspiring leader in that movement. Mm. But, you know, the Underground Railroad was not just Harriet Tubman. There were lots of other people who are known and lesser known who, through bravery and sacrifice and um, self-empowerment, you know, helped people escape from slavery. And right. so the idea here is to think about let's question this idea of putting one person on a pedestal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and think about the larger movement. Mm. And one of the reasons for that is that if at some point in our future, people decide to topple the heroes that we're putting up now, what's left there, right? We have mm -hmm. to keep having these conversations of what do right. we value in our spaces? What represents us? If we think about a movement, we're talking about countless people and we're talking about a long period of time and we're talking about the evolution of that movement. Um, and so one of the things that I, I really like about that idea is that it really represents the things we do together. It mm -hmm. recognizes um, the masses, the mm -hmm. foot soldiers mm -hmm. that helped create change in our world. Ah, what occurred to me as you were talking was how this approach is a thoughtful response and a disruptive way to think about the fact that we are now kind of this quote unquote cancel culture. Like we've, we've seen the, uh, the downsides of hanging our hats on an individual. And we know, we know all too well that everyone has flaws, everyone has evolutions in their character and someone at mo some point in time may take issue with any part of that that's, you know, down the road. But I hadn't really thought of this, of what you're doing as also addressing this, that problem you know, looking at the broader picture of what is the movement they represent is, um, yeah, it's just, I think, a wonderful solve in a sense to how do we find um, more lasting and, and maybe better um, representation here and, and not necessarily, it may not be the individual, but again, the, the thing that they stood for, the thing that they fought for. You know? Right. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's so many examples of that right now of, um, you know, as we think about um, progress in our country, if it's reproductive rights or voting rights or civil rights, you know, when we really dig into people's biographies, we might find things that we don't agree with or mm -hmm. that we are we are projecting our current mindset on, on a mindset of the past or mm -hmm. a different set of values or educational tools of the past, right? And so if we're looking at one person and we decide we no longer appreciate that person mm -hmm. as much as we used to, if like you to use your term, if you hang your hat on one person and then they get 
stripped away. Yeah. Right. Toppled. Exactly. What happens to that progress? We don't want to lose that. And, um, and it's also just kind of an, an incomplete history to think that really any one person could accomplish Uh, sweeping change. It's, it's, it is impossible. So it's both. Yes. That, that idolizing heroes can make a whole movement vulnerable, but it's also just not the complete story Mm, because mm -hmm. there's so many other people that have to be involved if a movement will succeed. Right. So I know your background, you have kind of a a specific focus on on certain areas, one of them being public art, another being uh, feminist works. Uh, So as you've been approaching kind of monuments and art in public spaces, uh, can you give us a few examples of how what we've seen historically may have inadvertently perpetuated, say, gender inequality or racism or stereotypes, kind of how things speak to us in indirect ways? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, for people that are not uh, as um, enmeshed in, in the art world as I am, it's easy to think that the the oppressions that uh, exist in broader society don't don't permeate the art world or creative culture but but the art world is very reflective of the broader problems that we have in society with um you know prejudice towards women people of color lgbtq and on and on we have to think about arts and culture and representation with the same critical eye that we think about everything else. If we are reading a story or talking about a current event or experiencing something with our children and we stop and say, okay, we've got to talk about this issue we're experiencing or reading about or something. Let's think about was there unfair bias here? Was there prejudice? Was there misogyny? And, you know, kind of those kind of learning moments when we learn together as a family or a community um, to confront something and um, to to work to create equity and equality. Mm. It's the same kind of thing when you're looking at art. You know, if you really go through an art museum, do you see your story reflected, your community reflected? Mm-hmm. Do you see your experience there? Um, in public art, it's the same thing. Um, you know, I, um, I had the privilege of being taught these kinds of things by my parents, um, to, to think about, to use a critical eye when, when looking at and appreciating art and culture and questioning what should be there and what's missing. And Mm. so those kinds of things are, you know, what, what I talk about and what I try to teach my, my kids about, um, when, you know, just think about like, um, say walking through a, a sculpture park or something like that and reading those labels, hmm. you know, were those, were those labels, do those labels all have the names of men on them? Um, hmm. and what are those works about? And if you are, are learning about and experiencing art and culture that, that never reflect yourself, that never reflect the broader community or your values or something you can identify with personally, you know, I think that it can question your self-worth and your sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And if you don't see those things, um, uh, you need to speak up about what you want to see, you know, like Mm -hmm. 
most art and culture is paid for by taxpayer dollars. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so <laughs> if there is something in your community that you have no idea why it's there, it's really not reflective of identities and uh, the community and values of, around you, you know, maybe that's not the best thing to be there and you should be advocating for things that are, are more meaningful. Yes. I, I, I like that you touched upon um, being active. Uh, we do have to actively challenge ourselves to see things critically, to question, and then if there are gaps, you know, help identify better solutions and help bring bring a, a positive solution into the space. Because I, you know, mm -hmm. I, being someone who's Asian, of Asian descent and a female, have never seen a public sculpture of someone that looks like me. I haven't thought extensively about how this may have impacted my my goals for myself or how it might be impacting my daughter's visions of what they can become but it definitely does inform um, us in some way that's I think one of the things where art and and art and culture can be a tool for um, for doubling down on our values about representation mm -hmm. as we're thinking about the identity of the artists who made the work and what the work represents, we have to ultimately think about who commissioned that work. And when I say commission, it means, you know, what group of people got together to raise the money to have this work created and decided what the work would be about. Mm -hmm. And historically, most of the work in our public spaces has been commissioned and created by uh, the wealthy and powerful. And historically, that would also mean men, um, because mm. it was white men who owned most of the land. Mm -hmm. And so those are the people in control. Those are the politicians. Those are the landowners. And their values, their um, tastes, and um, their identities have become the dominant stories and symbols in our spaces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. because so many of us have lived with that for so long, um, sometimes we are unquestioning. And then we get stuck with those, <laughs> we get stuck with those stories. And yeah. there's not as much room or space to bring in um, more inclusive stories. And I, I'd like to end with a favorite inspirational quote or thought or affirmation that you might want to share with our listeners? Sure. So um, I'm not great at quotes because I always mix them up and then wrongly attribute them <laughs> to somebody. But I will say this. I will say that um, uh, an exercise that we do in Monuments to Movements, um, we ask people to imagine an ident uh, excuse me, a monument that reflects their own identity. And mm. it's a really beautiful exercise to kind of dream that up, you know, what would I want to see that reflects my story, my community, my identity, my values. And I think it's a great exercise to do with your child. Mm. Um, and maybe your child will build that monument one day. I learned so much from this conversation with Nisa. In the wake of 2020 and 2021's social upheaval and pushes for change, and seeing more than one monument be removed or relocated, it was fascinating to me to learn why we should think critically about them and learn ways that we can approach monuments and public art in the future. 
Here are a few other of my key takeaways. One, I loved the expanded definition of a monument as public art that can represent people or a movement, and it can be made of anything or even be temporary. Two, creating monuments that honor movements instead of individuals not only avoids the potential of a fallen hero and the losses that come with that, it's also a more complete and accurate story of the movement and the social impact that it had. When viewing public art, ask who made the art? Who commissioned it? Who is depicted? Does this reflect the values of the existing community? These are things I definitely want to teach my daughters. I have to admit, when we go to art museums or parks and see things, I have never presented them with these questions, or uh, so I'm not even sure that this thought passed their minds. But on a subconscious level, I know they're being impacted by the fact that nearly everything they see has been made by or is of a man. Number four, like a lack of representation in media, monuments that only celebrate one type of person can perpetuate implicit biases and foster a sense of inferiority and low self-esteem in underrepresented groups. I pulled this statistic from the internet. It was not something covered in my talk with Nisa, but it was validated for sure if you just type in and search for it. Number five, if you don't feel the public art or publicly funded art represents you or the community you live in, you have a right to speak up and ask for change. If you're interested in learning more about monuments to movements, including M2M's inaugural movement initiatives, visit monumentstomovements.org. You can also follow at Nisa underscore M2M. That's at N-E-Y-S-A underscore M, the number two, M. And you can also follow at monuments the number two, movements on Instagram. Those links are in the show notes as well. Thanks for listening. Your support means the world. Remember to subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're on Instagram or Facebook, follow at NoBeRaiseThem or facebook.com slash NoBeRaiseThem for inspirational quotes, tips, and reminders to help you show up for yourself and your daughter the way you want to. Again, I'm grateful for you. And here's to strong women. May we know them, may we be them, and may we raise them.